We're going to start in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to keep going. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you are here with us now. We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. We thank you for the privilege of gathering together with our brothers and sisters who trust in you, who sing your praises, who encourage us, and we can be an encouragement to them. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to pour out your mercy upon us. Lord, continue to show us your need. Excuse me. Continue to show us our need for your mercy and grace. Continue, God, to be gracious to us as we walk with you. Thank you, God, that you say you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Whatever we might do, God, you will continue to be faithful to the very end. Open our hearts now to receive your word. Spirit, use my words and use them the way you want for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to begin our study uh, for the next few weeks, at least, on the coming of Christ. And this passage is, is one of the more well-known passages in regards to the coming of Christ. And it's interesting because in the book of Daniel, which talks about some of the things that we'll be looking at, uh, at the very end, in chapter 12, 
in verse 6, Daniel's having uh, another vision. He's seeing a, a picture of things. And one of the angelic beings asks, after all this revelation has been given, asks, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? And it seems like ever since that angel asked that, people have been asking that question pretty much ever since. When will the end come? And when will these amazing things take place? So when we talk about the end times, the, the fancy word for that is eschatology. That just means the study of the end times. Here's the thing. Any study of this, any study, any study of this should give you great hope. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but I kind of want to put that at the forefront because sometimes if you just study like what I would consider like pop eschatology, um, you'll walk away with like doom and gloom, you know, and the end is tomorrow and, and, and you're not going to make it. Um, if you're doing that um, and, and that's your, your view, you're not reading the Bible correctly and, and you're studying the issue all wrong. Uh, you're reading more of man's words than God's words, okay? So you need to, whatever that stuff you're reading is, you need to put that away and read the word. The other thing is, um, too many people uh, read the Bible in one hand, and then they're scrolling through their phone in the other. Um, and what I mean by that um, is you're, you're looking through the news, and you're scrolling through the news, and you're trying to figure out like how that fits in with the word. Uh, people have been trying to do that for 2,000 years. Um, countless, countless claims. I got right here all the predictions and claims for the second coming of Christ. Many, many people going back to right after the time of Jesus, death and resurrection, um, claiming a date and putting a time on it for when he was coming back, trying to ascertain the day and the hour. The word says we don't know the day or the hour. So we need to be careful of that. Here's what we want to do. We want to focus on what we clearly know from Scripture. Focus on what we clearly know. And we want to focus uh, on what we are clearly given in Scripture. If we have to speculate when it comes to the Word, guess what? It's not worth it. You have a greater chance of being wrong than being right. People who, are spe who speculate, they're called hedge fund investors. Okay? Um, talk to them about GameStop, right? <clears throat> they're not called theologians. Is there a right way to study the end times? Yes, absolutely. And here's the thing. Any biblical study that we do, any biblical study, should help us grow in our faith. So if we're digging into the Word, if we're really getting into this and we're studying it and we're looking at the different passages, like God should be showing us various truths that we can apply to our life, including things about the end times. And we should see God himself clearly in our study. We should see what he's doing and what he is communicating to us. What are his thoughts on that particular subject? So if we're going to study the end times, our faith should end up strengthened. If it's not, then stop. It's not time for you to study the end times. It's not beneficial for you, and you, you might not be studying it right. It should be something that encourages you. And here's the thing. Paul even hints at it in that first verse. Um, being informed is a good thing. It's, it, right? It's good to be informed. And I took, at seminary, I took a whole class on the end times. An entire semester at a master's level studying some of the information that we're going to be discussing. So studying it, that, that's good. It, there's lots of information. Um, lots of interesting things. It's good to be informed on biblical topics. Amen? 
right? We want to know what the word says. Um, we want to keep all things in balance. Sometimes I feel like there are, there are some people who, who place so much weight on end times and, and every position and all these little details, and, and they're forgetting the other 99% of the word. Now, we can make that mistake, each one of us, with our own little like hobby horses that we like to ride. We might have a particular leaning towards this position on any number of subjects, and what do we do? That's all we read about, that's all we study about, so we've got to be careful ourselves, whatever it might be. I have my own favorite subject that I like to study. I have to be careful that that doesn't become overly weighted and I, and I neglect other things in the Word that God wants to be showing me and that I need to be reading. Even if you think about like um, reading your Bible, for example. That's why it's good to have a Bible reading plan because it systematically keeps you going through the Word. You're not just turning to some of your favorite books every, every day of the month, every month of the year. You're getting through the Word and making sure you're hearing the full counsel of God. So there's lots of information, but we're going to start right in verse 13. And look what he says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now there was some concern, apparently, that because this is what's happening in the church at Thessalonica, there was some concern that because people had died before Jesus came back, that they wouldn't be in heaven with him, that they wouldn't be raised from the dead. That's the, um, I don't think it actually, in this case, a lot of times Paul is actually correcting error and false teaching. I think it was either a lack of information or just a misunderstanding. And they were concerned that, you know, the Thessalonians, they got saved, right? And some of, their, uh, some of the believers had passed away. They're concerned like, wow, what happens now? We were preparing for Jesus to come back. He's correcting their misunderstanding at what happens to those who have died, who have trusted in Christ. So he uses a figure of speech here called a lightetes. A lightetes. It's basically an ironic understatement in which an affirmative is expressed by the negative of its contrary. You like that? In other words, you state something, instead of stating something directly, you state the contrary statement that's not true. Okay? I'll give you a couple examples. You won't be sorry. That's my example. What does that mean? If I say you won't be sorry, you'll like it. You'll be happy. Um, what about that drawing is no Picasso? That's a bad drawing. <laughs> right? Board games just aren't my cup of tea. If it's me, I hate board games. <laughs> he's no Prince Charming. Okay, he's ugly. <laughs> so it's basically like ironic understatement is sometimes uh, with some of those uh, examples. What is here Paul saying? We do not wish you to be uninformed. What's, what is he saying? We want you informed. Okay, so you state the, the opposite and the negative. We want you to know this thing. Now, when it comes to predictions on the second coming of Christ, some of you probably remember the book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be, when? 1988, all right? There was actually a book written. In fact, um, I think it was 
300,000 copies of this book were sent to pastors across the United States for free. Okay. Um, before 1988, obviously. <laughs> 4.5 million copies of this book sold. All right? And I'm here to tell you in 2021, he, the guy was off. <laughs> so he, he wrote this book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. 4.5 million copies. 1988 came and went. And guess what book he wrote in 1989? 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 89. Then he was wrong in 89 and he made a prediction for 93. Obviously wrong. 94, obviously wrong. Friends, when we do things like this, and, and here's his quote, which is just alarming. This is what he said in, in, in before 88. Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. Whoa. That was his statement. And I say that, he says, to every preacher in town. And if there were a king in this country and I could gamble with my life, I would stake my life on it. Okay, when things like that are said and when predictions like that are made, it makes Christianity look foolish to the unbelieving world. And it can actually end up um, even duping believers, right? So I'm sure that some of these people that have made predictions over the years, um, they probably truly, truly believe that Jesus revealed that information to them. Okay, but obviously they didn't know their word very well, as we're going to see. But when you make claims like that, I mean, what do you call someone like that? false teacher, right? Make a claim, doesn't come true. This issue of Christ's return, specifically like the when, the where, the how, it has caused much needless division. You know, are you pre-tribulation? Are you mid-tribulation? Are you post-tribulation? Are you pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial? Friends, when we talk about these things, this is not a primary issue, okay? I mean, it's even not a secondary issue. It's tertiary at best, all right? Maybe even quaternary. You like that one? Okay, so it's not first or second. It might be third. It might even be fourth on those things. Now, what's our theme for this year? Okay, my, my co-pastor knows it, but I need other people to know it as well. What's our theme for this year? Y'all don't know that? Talked about it starting last September. Unity and community. Unity and community. So, even on something like this, there are certain things when it comes to Christ's return we can, we can all say yes and nod our heads to. We can be unified on those. Those, those tertiary issues, we can, we, can, we can debate, we can argue, um, but they shouldn't divide us. I had a friend uh, at seminary. Well, I had more than one friend at seminary. <laughs> but I had a friend at seminary. He was there at seminary on a scholarship from his church. His, um, he belonged to a particular denomination, and they had funds set aside to send um, you know, men that they thought were called to go to seminary. And so he was there on a scholarship uh, going to seminary, and his denomination had a certain millennial position that they required their pastors uh, to ascribe to. And if they didn't ascribe to that, they couldn't be ordained 
in that denomination. So he kind of had like one of two options when you think about it, right? I mean, he could just kind of go along with, with the denominational line and maybe not study it enough or just read those books that kind of affirm that position and, you know, um, he could do that. The other option was to really dig deep and, and dive in and figure out what his position was and see if he could agree in good conscience uh, with his denomination's position. So he did, he did the latter, and he really made a study of it, and he ended up coming to a different conclusion than his denomination. So they, he had to inform you know, his, his church and his denomination you know, and ended up losing his scholarship and, and couldn't be ordained in the church. I think that's very unfortunate, uh, to say the least. Again, on issues like that, when we're talking about the millennium, most of you, <clears throat> and it's almost more of a compliment, um, probably couldn't give a good definition of amillennial, postmillennial, or premillennial. And, and most of you, again, more of a compliment, I'd say, than insult, um, couldn't give a good definition of, of pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, or mid-tribulation. What, what do those mean? And even if you could do that, you probably couldn't argue very well from the scriptures that particular position, or maybe even your particular position. That actually, on that point, doesn't really bother me. I think on something like this, we need to be charitable. There's a joke, um, and, and it goes like this. Uh, it says, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. Are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. Me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. Me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region? Or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, da, heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> We are sometimes the most uncharitable to those who are very much like us, right? And it doesn't make sense. So this is not an issue, an issue to divide on. Um, if someone said Christ wasn't coming back, that's a problem. That's an issue. If they, they said he's not physically coming back, that's a problem. That's an issue. We had a family visiting last year um, for a few months. Great family. I loved them. But they ended up leaving when they, um, they thought they understood our position on the tribulation. Um, that, that's not, not the best reason to leave, in my opinion. Um, our membership handbook actually doesn't specify an end times position. You can be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or I don't know trib. <laughs> okay? We don't specify a, a millennial position. Why? Well, one, if we did, you'd actually have to ascribe to that position if you wanted to be a member here. Um, two, we just don't think those are of, of a high enough standard to require for someone to become a member in this church. Friends, let's be clear about a few things. We 
don't know the day or hour when Christ will return. We don't know the day or the hour. Okay, So we shouldn't try to figure it out. The scripture is really clear. Keep your place in 1 Thessalonians, but look at Matthew 24. It says in verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This is in the context where Jesus is talking. Matthew 24 is, is, is one of the chapters where it talks about the end times. But go on to Matthew 25. He tells the parable of the ten virgins. What's the story there? There's the five wise and the five foolish, right? It says, verse 3, When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Then here's the verse, verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know the day nor the hour. So, why do we try to figure it out? There's, there's a, another joke. God the Father walks into this, this conference room in heaven, and there's this giant table, giant conference table, and, and Jesus has like all these charts spread out all over uh, the table. And the Father's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, these are all the end-time charts from well-respected theologians, and I'm just trying to figure out when I'm supposed to return. The point being that many well-respected people, theologians who have studied this, have come to differing opinions. When we're going to study this, here's the thing. We need to focus on Christ. He needs to be at the forefront of this entire thing. Too many people focus on the when. Too many people try to interpret the signs. They read four layers deep into something that simply isn't there. We need to focus on Christ. That's what Paul directs their attention to. Okay? He doesn't have them focus on the wind, but he has them focus on Christ and his return. And he paints this amazing picture of Christ coming back. I mean, if, if you're a believer, how can you not read this section and be greatly encouraged? I mean, even when you picture it in mind, you know, the archangel crying out and, and the trumpets, and you see Jesus coming, right? I mean, it's, it's this glorious picture that Paul paints for us of the glorious Christ, the majestic Christ, the prevailing Christ, the ruling Christ. Jesus will return to claim his bride as his own. Amen? Amen. Friends, when that day happens, your affliction will end. When that day happens, your suffering will end, your heartache will end, and your sin will end. And guess what? Jesus will reign triumphantly over us all, and we'll bend the knee to him, the king. So we need to be ready. Jesus can return at any moment. Over and over again, the Scriptures use the, the, the frame of, of a thief. That's the imagery we get of Him coming like a thief in the night. That we need to be watchful because we 
don't know when he might return. In fact, we just read it in 1 Thessalonians. That's why we read a little bit more into chapter 5. He says in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 5, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Look at 2 Peter because he says something similar. It says in verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He even tells the church in Revelation, the church in Sardis, he says that if they don't wake up, he's going to come like a thief. They won't be ready. He will catch them off guard. And then in Revelation 16, look there, because I want you to see this for yourselves. It's talking about the the seven bowls of God's wrath. And right after the sixth bowl, before the seventh bowl, in verse 15, I mean, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So we want to be prepared, we want to be ready. The other thing we want to do is we want to proclaim it because there is too much speculation about end times and not enough proclamation about the end times. What do I mean? Well, people spend a lot of time speculating among themselves like when he might come back or or this position or that position. Uh, We need to proclaim to the nations that Jesus is coming back, that he will come back for his bride, that he will come back and give judgment to those who give judgment, that he will come back and give reward to those who deserve reward. That's what we need to proclaim. So less speculation and more proclamation. We need to proclaim to them that they need to be ready. That's what the scripture says. Be ready. Here's the thing. Each one of us needs to make sure that we're prepared. Each one of us needs to make sure that we are ready for the return of Christ. Friends, if you're not sure about that, then make today the day that you settle that in your heart. Because the scripture is clear that Jesus is coming back. That there will be a day of judgment for us to appear before his throne. That we'll have to account for our sins. Okay, The ones we've actually done, the ones that we've sinned in our thoughts, and the ones we've sin with our tongue, our words. We will have to account for that. We will be judged for that. Those who don't have Christ, it says, will go to eternal destruction, the end of Matthew 25. Those who have Christ, well, he will step into their place. He has paid the price for their sins. Those will step to eternal life. 
I encourage you today, if you have not yet trusted in Christ, to make today the day that you truly do that. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Friends, he, he's so quick to forgive. He's so quick to forgive. You come to him with a humble heart, he'll forgive you. Seek him. Pride keeps so many people from the kingdom. Don't let pride keep you from the kingdom. Don't let pride keep you. You need someone else to do what you can't do. You need Jesus to live the perfect life that you haven't lived. Let's just be honest. You know y'all got sin in your lives. I got sin in my life. Christ came to take care of that. Christ came to, to pave a way for you to get back to the Father. Christ came so that you could have full relationship with God himself. The broken wall, the broken unity, the division that's occurred, Christ came to heal that. So trust in him today. Humble yourself before the Father. Friends, when we grieve, has anyone here lost anyone that they love? Anyone they love dearly? Sorry to put your hands up. Like when, when you grieve for someone who, who's died and they're a believer, it, it's a different type of grieving. If you are a believer, it's a different type of grieving than those that you feel more sure either never made a profession or you're not sure about their profession. It's a different type of grieving. You still grieve, right? I always picture it... <clears throat> um, you know, my mom was a missionary for about 10 years in Africa, and, and she, it was just the way they were set up. Actually, for a while, she could only come home every other year, right? And so I, she'd come home and be here for about a month or so, but it, then at the end of that month, you know, she'd be ready to get on that plane. And so how long would it be till we'd see her again? Like two years, right? Well, that kind of stinks. So, I mean, there'd be, there'd be heartache. There'd be tears, right? I, I knew in two years she'd be coming right back, Lord willing. But, but it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's a goodbye, but it's not a goodbye forever. But that doesn't take this thing away from it. You, you're not going to see them for the rest of your life, Right? So it potentially is a very long goodbye. But when, when we're grieving, we're not grieving, as Paul says, as those who have no hope. Look back at 1 Thessalonians 4. He says at the end of verse 13, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So what does, he, what does he say? I'm, I'm going to inform you because I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because you have the hope of Christ and those who have died in Christ will be raised up. Not only will they be raised up, they're going to be raised up first. Those who have already died will be raised first. Then those who are left remaining will be raised to meet Christ in the air. When we're studying the end times, as we go through this the next few weeks, we want to make sure that what we're studying encourages us in our walk with Jesus, that we are drawn closer to him. And it, and it should magnify in your eyes how great and awesome the triune God is. That this plan that he, he has was set in motion before the world began. Okay, he, He's sovereign over all things, and he's, he's got this. As, 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 as sometimes in maybe your own personal life, as grim as the picture might look, or maybe if you look out at the world and as grim as that picture sometimes looks, like, God has this. Okay? There is a finality to it for this earth in its present form. 
And it's not a bad one. It's Christ coming back to claim each one of you as his own, as the bride of Christ. Everyone found in Christ will be preserved both in life and death. That's really Paul's first point in this passage. Okay, the Thessalonians were thinking, man, these, these, these believers, they've died. What about them? And his point is, whether it's death or life, wherever you're at, Christ has you. You've trusted in him, then you have a position with him in eternity. That wherever you're at, those that have already died, they're buried, they've been there, or you're, you're alive right now, hearing the word, you have a place with Christ. There is no place that Christ does not have you. You are his, and he has you. So we need to be ready. We don't want to be caught off guard. You're not caught off guard because you don't know the day or the hour. Even, I think, if Jesus revealed that day or the hour, people still wouldn't be ready. You're caught off guard because you're not prepared. You're caught off guard because you'd rather have it your way than Jesus' way. You're caught off guard because you focus on your own desires and not Jesus' desires. You're caught off guard because you advance your kingdom and you don't advance his kingdom. So, don't be caught off guard. All those things are things that you can repent of, that God can work on, that you can make right with him now. You can reorient things so that you are not caught off guard, even if you were to come 30 seconds from now. Right now, you can make it right with the Lord. You can readjust things. You can repent. You can walk in righteousness before him. We don't know when Christ is going to return, but, but we do know he will return. Is that going to be while we're alive? We don't know. But he will return. He will return and claim his bride for his own. Let's make sure that our hearts are prepared for that day. Friends, none of us know the day or the hour when Christ comes back, and none of us knows when our day or hour is our final day and hour. Sometimes God is gracious and... and um, We've all known people that, that their, their time, you can see their time is slowly growing to a close. And you do know they, they literally only have days, maybe a day, maybe just hours left. God is gracious sometimes to do that for their sake and even for ours to prepare us for the loss that we're about to endure. But other times, the Lord chooses to take people in sometimes awful circumstances and sometimes tragedies. And none of us knows how any of us are going to go. Today could be your day. That should be a sobering thought. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. The Word says the Lord knows our days. He knows our time. Okay? That should awaken us so that we are prepared to meet Jesus. Hebrews 9 says it pretty, pretty straightforward. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then what? Then the judgment. Okay, there's, it's like there's a private judgment and there's a public judgment. But the judgment will be, as soon as you die, like you're going one place or the other. Heaven or hell. You'll be with Christ for eternity or you'll be separated from him for an eternity. Let's make sure each one of us are at a place where we know where we're at with Jesus and it's the right place. Let's be humble enough 
to seek Him. Let's be humble enough to walk in repentance. Let's be humble enough that we're not caught off guard so that if we've aligned our desires wrongly, we've advanced the wrong kingdom, we've had it our way rather than Jesus' way, that we repent today. And we straighten that out. Whether we're a believer or not, let's walk with Jesus. Let's walk in confident expectation of the hope of the resurrection that will come for each of those in Christ someday. Are you hearing me? Let's continue to walk in faith, friends. The, The days that lie before us, the coming weeks and months and years, it appears it is not going to get easier. So we must have a resolve to press on for Christ, whatever might come. Whatever might come. And we must set our heart firmly on Christ and Christ alone. And whatever is distracting us, whatever is dragging us down, whatever might be entangling us, whatever we've been caught up in, we've we got to push it aside. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to free ourselves and walk with Jesus. Walk with him in truth, in love, in obedience. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray first for anyone here who might not know you. Would you speak to their heart right now? Reveal to them their sin, their need for you. Reveal to them your love for them. How forgiveness is found through your son, Jesus. And Lord, I do pray for for us that have trusted wherever we might have gotten distracted or slipped up or fallen away. God, today, today, today will be the day we get right with you. And Lord, do let us and help us and remind us and show us clearly through your scripture that our heart needs to be set steadfast on you. That you are a merciful God, that you shower us with your steadfast love, your hesed love, God that you are quick to forgive, that you are slow to anger, that you abound in goodness and righteousness. Lord, wherever brokenness lies in our hearts, we ask that you would heal it, that we would walk in wholeness before you, God, that you'd bring healing to your people for your glory. Amen.